For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stride. Pitch free throws because they're free. Fisher DeSopolis, Thursday, July 20th. That is the day. It's a lovely day in Southern California. Also, to the people listening of the Mightier 1090 ESPN, an early Shabbat Shalom to you guys. We have Rob Ford, Christopher Dillon, the two men who directed an amazing three-parter on Showtime called Goliath about Wilt Chamberlain. Gentlemen, such a fun watch. So interesting. Honestly, as a, we are two basketball nuts. And we still learn. I could. I'll speak for both of us. We learned a lot watching this one. Why now? Let's start there. Why was it the time now to talk about Will? The dip, not the still. Yeah. Will the dip? <laughs> <laughs> you, did, you did learn, actually. Not yeah. You. yeah. yeah. Past the first test. Um, you know the the, the why now? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, it's 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 why hasn't it happened? Is probably the the better question up until this point because. Will is more than deserving of it. And so ultimately the why now is just, um, it's just timing, right? The family was ready. And with, you know, myself and Chris and Kevin Garnett and Religion of Sports and Village Rose Show and all the folks involved, um, obviously Showtime, uh, they felt they had the right group and trusting partners mm -hmm. in place to let their guard down and let their brother story be told in a humane way. I think that was the big key. There have been a lot of past attempts that have made them feel uncomfortable. And, you know, he's been burned with media treatment in the past. So they were very guarded and very protected, you know, in the beginning of this process to make sure that it wasn't just some sort of sensationalized, you know, piece about the women uh or or something along those lines and so i think yeah ultimately it was it was it was just timing and having the right group of people mm -hmm. right yeah the family uh their yeah. reticence is part of the you know what how we approach this um in terms of the themes and why you're saying why didn't i know this i learned things because we wanted to reveal at every point whether it be a personal story that nobody would have ever heard coming from his sisters or from a former teammate telling you about some an interaction in the locker room or, you know, around a double date uh, or the basketball stuff, because I was shocked. I'm a huge basketball nerd and have been my whole life. And I was stunned when I got to see some of the games that I thought I knew 
what happened because I had inherited the narrative, you know, of Wilt. Then that was part of what his family was wanting to protect him from was a continuation of the mythology of Wilt as, you know, even as a basketball player, selfish, only interested in stats, not a winner, choker in big games. And when we put up the games themselves and just let you watch how they played out and then show you the headlines afterwards, it was an attempt to allow you as the viewer to decide for yourself, you know, do you think that the the narrative that existed around Will, you know, is reflective of the truth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I found it um, incredibly interesting that the voiceover narration um, was done by AI and with the conversations that are going on right now uh, in regards to the SAG strike and the WGA strike, um, AI is certainly a hot button topic. I would love to, to know where that, that first thought came from, those discussions between the two of y'all selves um, to utilize the AI voice of Wilt and ultimately like what type of AI you used for that. Because I thought that was such, a, such an interesting choice and not one I've often seen. Um, but but certainly one that I imagine we will see going forward in many documentaries um, and and features and, and TV shows, you know, in the future. Want me to take that, Rob? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the choice for the AI was driven by like a deeper choice for us, which was we wanted to give Wilt a voice in his piece, and he wrote extensively. He had three autobiographies. And uh, was interviewed constantly, you know, throughout his life. So we had all of these words that Wilt said, and we wanted to include them. And then there was, how do we do that? So we're talking about, do we put the quotes on screen and you read them? Ultimately, we decided, because we didn't want to have a narrator, we didn't want to write narration and tell you what you should think. You know, we wanted to deliver the story through the interviews and archival and then let Wilt comment on what was happening to him um, through his own words. So we cast a voice actor and this is the how. We actually had a voice actor read the words who you know, we cast. He had a, has a similar uh, speech pattern to Wilt um, and, and wave inflecting. And we had his performance and we could have just used his performance. But this is where we get into the now because we have now the ability through AI to morph that actor's tone of voice into Wilt through a, you know, a complicated process um, that Rob can speak more about that, you know, from a technical aspect, but we wanted an actor to bring the emotion and the feeling. And he also brought some of the timing because Wilt had, you know, this slight speech impediment where he would kind of pause and he would speak quickly, as you can see in some of the archival that's in there too, when he's being interviewed, right. talking about the Globetrotters or whatever, you can watch him on screen or in interviews with Roy Firestone. And so our actor embodied, you know, those, those, that rhythm and then brought the emotion and everything. And that, all of that is from his performance. And then we just altered the tone of voice. So because these are Wilt's words, these are things that he said or that he wrote. And uh, we would have not done it. If we were writing narration, um, we would have <clears throat> never done this because we didn't want you to think that like, these are things that Wilt said. These were things that Wilt said. We just don't right. have the audio of him saying it. And we wanted to let you feel him because despite being super famous, there isn't a ton of archival of him. You know, mm -hmm. um, it just, at this you know stage in the game, people didn't keep that stuff. So there was a little bit of an absence of Wilt in his own piece. And so we wanted to have more of him, but, but Rob can speak to technical stuff if you want to know more about that. 
Yeah, on the as far as the process, um, you know, researched uh, a few different companies and and you know got bids and samples and stuff, and ended up going with a company called Respeacher. Um, and you can look them up. They've you know done other big projects. I think that the Darth Vader was probably the, yeah. the biggest one, uh, you know, prior to ours. And so um, the way it works is, uh, I love that, 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 that we're bigger than Darth Vader. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Goliath, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. James Earl Jones, dude. Like, hey, look, we're talking to the top of the top. <laughs> Truth is, Wilt would have body slammed Darth Vader. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, speak that AI. I, I couldn't get it past you guys. Um, so yeah, so we we they uh, we submitted it like uh, ultimately we submitted probably like six hours of audio, um, mainly from the Roy Firestone collection from the Up Close show because it's like clean, you know, studio. Yeah uninterrupted good quality sounding audio relative to that time um and what they do is they take that and they use it to create um several different variations of the voice so variations with respect to space and room as far as mm -hmm. proximity to the mic and then also bass and tone and intonation and we're trying to take all of that and really just intersect them to find the one that gets us the closest to Wilt. Um, and once we found the one that we like, that becomes what they call the model, right? And mm -hmm. so it's the thing that you then send all of the actor audio through and it comes out on the other side sounding like Wilt. So once we got the model, we then probably got eight to 10 different versions of the voice just within that particular, you know, um, option of choice. And even then we still had to pick and choose and sort of marry, you know, yeah. option three with option four. So it was very tedious, um, very intentional. Um, and it took quite a bit of time to nail it because um, just the process in itself, but also the company is based in Ukraine. And while we were making this film, you know, the, the stuff with Russia was at a peak and it's yeah. bombing and, and power outages and internet not working. Jesus. And they would disappear <laughs> yeah. on us for days at a time and we didn't hear from them. And we were just like, is this even going to happen and, and work? You know, we're just trying to make a little TV show. These folks are fighting for their lives. So it was super scary in that way though they were always like very positive and warm spirit and excited and you know wanted to do the best they could despite what they were dealing with um but it was interesting man and in the end you know um it 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 turned out very well you know we're happy with it um Chris, Chris and I were talking it's it is the the one thing that everyone is latching on to yeah um, you know, at the time of the decision, that wasn't the conversation, you know, that it is now. So we had no idea it would be what it is now. And, you know, we employed an actor just so everybody knows. Like, yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, it's so great that you get to tell us about that. And hopefully all of our listeners can hear that and hear how it's being integrated and the intentionality behind it. When you're watching the final product, it really amplifies the experience when you hear him speak and then you hear his sister speak right after him. Right. And it, it builds this bass note, like this, this heart to it and makes you feel, I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know about you, Josh, and this might just be because I love the game of basketball and what it's represented in my own personal life. 
I was brought to tears by watching this documentary multiple times the first time in the first episode, but just watching Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain embrace each other. It was, I mean, it meant the world to me. It's yeah. Yeah. The story that's not told. And then like also just kind of going off, there was a lot of, I, I liked how like there was a lot of like, it was sewn together. Like you would hear some of the narration, but then it would cut to an interview of him. So it didn't, so it did that helped like, you know, without throwing it in your face being like, Hey, like were you, you know, like, it is Will's voice. Like it was like a scene. It's pretty seamless. Yeah, you guys know how to make a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, uh, but I, I thought it was, I think one part you, when y'all brought up was interesting about how protective the family was right. of making it. And that actually makes sense because in the first moments when they talk about Wilt's childhood, and they talk about how, you know, it's not like today and how he paved the way. Like today, if you're six seven, you know, everyone's like NBA. Yeah. If you're six seven in the sick in the fifties and the sixties, the NBA wasn't what it was then. It's like it's like he was made fun of. Mm-hmm. So like that protection is so deep rooted in their family. So hearing you say like they want the perfect marriage, like that that, that makes sense. Do you guys one of the it wasn't super in your face, but I, I think for me it was stated like do you think he's one of the most underappreciated people and superstars of all time? Because I, at least for us in the game today, you he, we Kareem, Bill Russell, you know, maybe they they were around longer, are, are revered and talked about in that upper echelon of player. But as the people make their list and they talk about the greatest of all time, like I feel like Wilt starts to fall and fall and fall, where those guys still kind of like reign supreme. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Um, undeservingly as you now know after watching the documentary and i think it's it's a few things first and foremost it's just there isn't a high volume of footage you know so it's it's a little difficult to make the case because seeing is believing especially in a 2023 world where everything is the 100 point game is like no like come on (laughs) it's so tough like we have the footage of old wilt but Mm. young wilt is hard to come by. You know, we have little yeah, glimpses. Most fascinating. Um, so yeah, the, the footage is a piece. I think, um, you know, as as Chris has pointed out in a lot of these interviews, we know like he's just the first, you know, to do a lot of things. And unfortunately, that is often met with scrutiny, you know, and cynicism. And so I, I feel like there's, for whatever reason, and maybe I feel, I hope and feel people will see it differently after watching the doc, but it feels like there's this negative connotation that comes with that with Wilt, you know, from a historical perspective, um, because he had to like kick in a lot of doors on a lot of these things and it makes people uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable for the person experiencing when you're doing it for the first time. And then I think, yeah, it's just like from an age perspective, you know, the people who probably can make the best case for what he did, which is the ones that we tried to find and put in the film as a, a guiding principle. We, we tried to get as many people who had firsthand experiences with him, be it family or teammates or, you know, guys who played against him, et cetera, or even covered him from the media. But those, you know, are, are, are limited and, and few and far in between. And, you know, so I think, the, the folks who can really come and champion him with uh, facts and reference are just not around the way they are for maybe like Kareem on, you know, and things of that nature. Uh, 
And so it does become more mythical and more urban legend where it's like, you know, and you hear and people say and you see the records. But like, what is the real tangible sort of evidence to place him, you know, in those conversations? And, and, and I think the film does it in a way to where he should be inserted. I definitely have changed my approach when having those conversations, citing things, you know, from the film. But ultimately, the, the big takeaway that I think is um, undeniable is he's the most important basketball player in the history of the game with respect to all the foundation he laid and the records he you know broke and particularly the business blueprint he established as being the first NBA superstar. Um, there's narrative of Magic and Bird saving the NBA, which you guys basketball heads obviously know that, have heard that, and we've been fed that. But the NBA was actually like essentially a, a failing business before Wilt showed up and he made it profitable you know he made it substantial to where it could just be and exist um which then brought tv contracts and marketing ploys that are still used today as far as this guy versus that guy and so essentially none of these guys are here without wilt chamberlain so it, it's hard not to give him credit as being the most important person yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna go basketball nerd for a sec um Please. about wilt's game um because he was he there was no wilt before wilt you know i mean in socially as you already referenced like there were no like russell had just arrived as a, as a black superstar in the nba there were none when Wilt grew up there were certainly no seven foot super athletes and he's arguably still maybe the greatest athlete to ever play in the nba like west says he was the fastest player in the league track not the fastest crazy. big man not the fastest big man, the fastest player at seven, one, like almost 300 pounds, strongest player probably to ever play. And it's seemingly, seemingly inarguable with some of the stories that people tell. And he could touch the top of the backboard, like from just a physical standpoint, if he's coming out now, he's like more like an upsized LeBron, right? He's, he's yeah. more as opposed to Shaq because of his speed, his leaping ability, like all that stuff. But nobody had had a guy like that. So from uh, his game standpoint, appreciating his game in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, we're playing the results. The narrative around Wilt is looking at what happened, who won, who didn't win. And as we explore in the piece, writing the story based on that, whether or not Wilt played well in the clutch, the story is he lost again, Russell won again. And I, I love Bill Russell. I will never say anything to diminish Bill Russell. He's probably my favorite player ever. But Russell didn't have to score. And Wilt, when he shows up, is like his coaches, you know, uh, Frank McGuire, you know, design the offense for Wilt to get 50 points a game. He's being fed 40 touches and being asked to shoot, you know, like when he's asked to pass, he evolved, you know, and when Alex Hannum comes in in 64 and says, you have, gra basically you have gravity, you know, we did, there weren't terms for this then, you know, but right. You're drawing double teams. No one's saying heliocentric at the time. No. Like it's, yeah. It's not a word that anyone. Yeah. And the spacing is obviously different because there's right. no three point line, but basically yes. Wilt is drawing doubles and distorting the defense. And Alex Hannum says, we're actually going to be more efficient as a team if now we run some off-ball cuts. If you look at, um, you know, and Ben Taylor just did a great video. Our basketball expert just did a video on his channel looking at Wilt's game. And it's like, look at the footage. Like, no one's moving in those early 60s. You know, like, Wilt's getting the ball and everyone stands there. And that's a design issue. When they realized that Wilt's gravity could get 
open looks for his teammates that were actually going to be made at a higher rate than Wilt could against a double team. They have the most efficient offense in the league and they win a championship in 67. And then he's asked to further evolve when he's slightly diminished by the knee injury. And he's got great one-on-one shooters and say, can you basically set screens, do dribble handoffs, come out and guard in space and start the fast break and, you know, play like Russell. And so he evolves and does that and they win 33 straight games and he's the MVP of the finals and he's a top five MVP candidate playing that way and an MVP in his first season when he's a mega scorer. And there has been nobody in the history of the NBA that I can think of who is a great player who continues to evolve in that way throughout the course of their career and remain not a role player. Like obviously Carter, Vince Carter had to evolve, but he became a role player because he was diminished. Wilt won the MVP of the finals shooting nine times a game. So he's not a role player. And, and yet, you know, the narrative is like, he only cared about stats. Um, he didn't really care about winning, you know, and I, I don't think that matches up his evolution. And because he was first, they learned this stuff through him. Right. So like if Wilt comes around after Wilt, his career from jump looks very different where they're like, hey, you can pass a little bit and you, you're, you know, your screen setting is creating great opportunities for your teammates. Like it would have been a more integrated approach in terms of his various skills. And he lost, what, four uh, game sevens by a combined nine points. So like he was knocking on the door of having a legacy where we would look at it and be like, this guy won six championships. He has all the scoring records and the story would be different. And one of the things that I'm glad we're bringing up is like, maybe we're telling the story wrong. Like maybe we shouldn't just play the results because there's uh, so much randomness that goes into this. If Wilt had gone to Harvard as, uh, you know, uh, Brown and Auerbach wanted him to do, he plays for the Celtics. Yeah, he's a, he's a C. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and we don't even maybe have Bill Russell because he wasn't going to go play for St. Louis. So Russell said, I would have just not played in the NBA. I would just would have done something else. You know, like the ways in which randomness plays a role, but when we tell the story, that's not a fun story to tell. You know, that like, what if Tom Brady gets drafted by another team and just never gets to play? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, like, it's not fun to say that like in all of our lives that, that, there is random events and luck plays a part. I think it's better to look at like, you know, what was someone's intention and Wilt was willing to evolve. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know if other players have been as willing to evolve as, as he was. And also he was capable of evolving and all of his teams from the moment he showed up were in the mix, you know, like they were a title contender, you know, the year he got hurt, you know, they didn't make, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. And, and when they lost his teammates, when they went to San Francisco, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. But other than that, like there's a handful of guys, Wilt, Russell, Magic, Bird, you know, like very few people who were like, when they showed up, they arrived and the team was in the mix. And even players you might say peaked higher, you know, that isn't the case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, the, just the quick takeaway that I had, initially learning the part uh, about when he goes to the Catskills and he's like 15, 16 years old. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it was crazy. Well, here's, <laughs> here's the impossibility of comparing eras, comparing players from different eras. When you're talking with hoop heads about like, this guy's better than this guy because of this reason. Imagine if Will Chamberlain had the same treatment that Victor Wimbanyama has had his entire career. When that guy's eight years old, he defines his entire upbringing 
in a way and his parents are, are bought in to how do I get to the NBA? How do I become the best athlete that I can become? The yoga, the mobility, making sure that I'm in, you know, the injury proneness is never a, a factor. And now he's gotten to the NBA and now it's, it's going to be exciting to watch this guy, Victor Wimbanyama. This, well, it, like, I don't even know when he actually picked up a basketball. He might not have picked up a basketball until he was what, like th- 13, 14? I, I don't know, right? Like, yeah. he's not running with his sister. He didn't go to like, the NBA until he was 11. 23. Like, imagine yeah. if this guy, when he's seven years old, or when he's three years old, is shooting on the Fisher Price that I shot at when, you know, when mm-hmm. I was three years old. Like, and he was still able to do so many different things. And you just have to appreciate these guys in a way. Um, and that's why you can't really compare guys from Ares because the circumstances are so vastly different. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was a beautiful documentary, and Josh, Great do you want to, I know we're, we're almost running out of time here, but you want to hit him with our last question that we always ask. Yeah. We got to ask you guys real quick, uh, under the wire, your favorite sports memories ever could be watching, playing anything on what you guys rock. Oh man. Oh wow. That's a good one. <laughs> I may need a second, Chris, if you're, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this is personal, right? And, and no one's going to remember, but like I got into basketball because of my, my dad was a school teacher and um and we didn't have any money and 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 our luxury item for the family were um half season tickets to the blazers and i grew up in portland and um so we would in in the nosebleeds we shared them with another family and my brother was older than me so he would he'd be like okay so i'm gonna take the lakers and you'll get the phoenix suns and then this is like when they sucked you know it's like i'm like great you know (laughs) um and but i was at a game when clyde was a rookie and um, they weren't playing it much. Jim Paxson was like their big star. And, and Clyde was just, you know, he's getting his sea legs and stuff. And it, it was at the end of the game, Clyde stole the ball like two or three times and had breakaway dunks. And they came back and won. And I just never felt a crowd like, you know, I did. I was a kid. I was like nine, you know, eight or nine. And it was just so exciting. And you were like, this is different, you know. And um and that's, you know, and it's nostalgic because it yeah. was my mom and my dad. We would go and, you know, so I would say that that's mine. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's tough God. for me, man. I'm trying to think like, and and I, I don't know if I'm cheating here, but is it like something that you feel is like the most precious sports moment? Yeah, that's that like, you- like, yeah, to go off Chris's like that, like meant a deeper thing to him. Like, what well, for someone else in the crowd, it's another Tuesday watching Clyde. But for him, it's like right. the deepest. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Miles Turner came on our show and he said his favorite was when he hit a little league home run, like out of the park. Oh, and it was, shit. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, we yeah never, exactly. We literally never like, know what, what anyone's going to say. Like, and like, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Super personal in that way. Yeah. Um, geez, that's a really great question. I feel like I should know this as a sports person, but don't have it queued up. I mean, I think for me, it's probably like the thing that I always go to is, is, is the Magic Johnson finals game when, you know, Kareem was hurt and he played every position. Um, yeah. yeah, I didn't get a chance to like witness that in real time, but it's just once I, came to understand basketball and I revisited that and I understood how difficult that was. And he was a rookie and the weight and the pressure and just his confidence. I'm just like blown away and mesmerized and, and, and just have 
it just made me i mean magic is is why i'm here as far as watching basketball and wanting to make this doc and into sports i'm from los angeles born and raised so i feel like it would have to be a magic moment i came of age in the kobe era um and i'm a diehard laker fan so it might be like Kobe beating the Celtics, you know, post Shaq. That was a big moment. All right, good, good to see you guys. We'll see. <laughs> you know, look, don't hey, blame me. I'm a Blazer fan. Yeah, I feel bad right. for you. For me, I, I know I'm all Chili Peppers right now, but I am. I'm a diehard Seas fan. But no, that, that's uh, amazing. All right, Rob, so your, let me. Your, I'm going to rescue that. I'm going to rescue yeah. that. Uh, Bill, the genius of Bill Russell. He's commentating, and they're going to like everyone's agreed. Like they're going to Game Seven. And because of Kareem's injury, and Russell goes, do not assume that the Lakers aren't going to win this game in Philly, because this is a different team now with Magic, and they don't know how to guard this team. And he sees it coming. He's the only one who saw that Magic leading this team and then fast breaking, and like Philly ain't ready for that, you know. And yeah. I was like, God, that's why Bill Russell is a genius, you know. Like yeah. he saw the, he yeah. saw the chessboard. Yeah, Jeez. absolutely. Yeah. All but right, you, know, you guys got to run. Oh, if, go, you're gonna, go, if, go. You're, if you're gonna fix it in post, because I know you can edit. My my answer for the sake of the Wilt documentary would be Kobe's 81, because the only person to surpass that was Wilt. So there you go. Love Short look. And, and we should just we should emphasize we didn't say it earlier. The AI uh, voice of Wilt, we ran that past his family, and if they didn't want to do it, we were absolutely not going to do it. Like it, you know, it had to be something that they felt good about. So first yeah. first slate of the. Of the documentary, it's the first thing you see. You mm. guys, you yeah. masterful, just masterful work. We appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thank on. you guys. Thank yeah, you guys. really Everybody awesome go stuff. Go check out Goliath three-part uh, doc series on Showtime. It's it's unbelievable. Will Chamberlain, the Big Dipper, dip. Big big. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Chris. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, guys. guys. Great stuff, man. We'll see you guys. All right. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.